Matthew chapter 20. I know you have a Bible because you're in church. So if you don't have one back table, um, down the hallway has some Bibles. Feel free to grab one. Feel free to take one uh, with you. Matthew 20. Uh, I'm going to close out this chapter today. We're going to uh, tie a bow on the end of this chapter and then seven left like we're, we're moving right through. Now, those last seven might take three years, but, uh, but, we're, but we're, we're getting to the, the last quarter of the book, which is pretty awesome. Matthew chapter 20, another story I'm sure you're all familiar with, verses 29 to 34 says, And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed them, followed him, sorry, Jesus, and behold, there were two blind men sitting on the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Um, if you are a Bible student, and as we go through the gospel, you like comparing and investigating the synoptic accounts, the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, a lot of them share the same stories or the same narratives. Um, I would recommend, we're not going to go there, but if you want to find Mark's account, it's in chapter 10, verse 46. If you want to find Luke's, it's in chapter 18. You can go back there later. The reason I'm bringing that up is because um, there are many people, if you didn't already know, that are skeptics when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to the inerrancy of the Bible, when it comes to the Bible being the word of God rather than the word of man. And a story like this is a perfect example of why they do that. It's because all the synoptics share this story, and there's a couple of discrepancies. There are things that look like seeming contradictions within those accounts where people go, uh, oh, gotcha. They can't even agree on little things, right? How do you expect me to believe that this thing is trustworthy, that this is God's word, Right? Um, by the way, before we do this, um, I think we all understand out of the four Gospels, two of them were eyewitnesses. They were Matthew and John were actually with Jesus during these things. Mark is basically recording Peter's Gospel. Mark interviews Peter. That's where the book of the Gospel of Mark comes from. Luke, he's just a nerd. He's just a smart Gospel guy. Uh, doctor uh, that was just interested. And so he goes out and he collects all the information and he, he does all the interviews and, and he writes that, which actually is one book with Acts. Acts is just a continuation, okay? But Mark was not an eyewitness and Luke was not an eyewitness, but they were, they were not far removed from the eyewitnesses and the time when all these, thing ha these things happened, okay? There's just not a problem there. But let me go on to the discrepancies. Matthew here talks about two blind men, if you go to uh, Mark's account, he talks about one blind man that goes by the name of Bartimaeus. So it seems that it's possible that Peter actually knew this guy personally. 
um, and knew his name. And then Luke also just says there was one blind man, okay? The other thing that's kind of weird is that Matthew has them leaving Jericho when this happens. Mark has them leaving uh, Jericho when this happens. Luke has them entering Jericho when this happens. So people kind of look at this stuff and go like, what's up with this? You know what I mean? Like, how can you trust this stuff? They're contradicting each other. Um, well, we can trust it. Uh, there's nothing at all unusual about details like that being different in a story like this. Um, in 1912, the Titanic sunk. Um, it's the year that my grandmother on my dad's side was born, which blows my mind um, that she was born in 1912. The Titanic sunk. After the event happened, uh, witnesses that survived were interviewed. Some of them said that the boat broke in half when it went down. Some of them said it did not break. It just got pulled down. If you were on the side of the Titanic in a lifeboat watching it when it went down, you would see that it broke in half. If you were in front of it when it went down, you would just see it get pulled down backwards. No one was trying to lie. No one was trying to come up with a conspiracy, right? They just had different perspectives, different angles that, of focus in which they, um, in, uh, in which they experienced the event. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of a, I still nerd out a little bit on the whole JFK assassination. Like, to me, it's just, it's like the, it's like the weirdest, craziest, like, murder mystery ever, right? And so uh, that day, after that happened, you have witnesses that said they heard three shots. You have others that say they heard four shots. You had others that said they heard more than four shots. You had people that said the shots came from the sixth floor of the school book depository window. And, and then you have others that say, no, nah, the shots came from the grassy knoll. Well, who's right and who's wrong? Are people trying to lie immediately after the event? No. People just sit with different perspectives. The point is it's not unusual for us to focus in as witnesses on things on, on just separate details or to recall on separate details. Like that's not an unusual thing. In fact, what would be weird is if they all had their stories, every detail perfectly straight, because that's another reason for a skeptic to walk in and go, this is untrustworthy because this is a conspiracy. All these guys got together and got their story straight, and they're all saying exactly the same thing, and that's kind of fishy, okay? So um, there, 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 there's actually validation in our text um, because of the slight discrepancies. When the Titanic went down, even though there were different accounts of what happened, what do they all agree on? The Titanic sank that day, right? JFK. What do they all agree on? He died that day. The resurrection is probably the one that's most torn apart out of anything in our Bibles because, surprise, it's the most important. If there is no resurrection, there is no this. There is no Christianity. Everything stands or falls on the resurrection, and it's the one that's most attacked. And you're going to find the same stuff there. The two Marys got to the tomb first to find it empty. Oh, but over here, Peter got to the tomb first to find it empty. Right? What do they all agree on? That tomb was empty. Jesus lived and ate and talked and breathed and fellowshiped after they saw him really die, right? Same thing with this account here today. There may be some different details, but you know what they all agree on? Jesus gives sight to the blind. 
Jesus gives sight to the blind. So now that we've kind of floated into our apologetics, let's actually deal with uh, some text here. Um, what we see over and over again in the Gospels, the Gospel narratives, the stories, is Jesus doing, performing very practical, physical, immediate acts, which were miraculous in nature, like the one today, but, but all of those physical Acts like the, like the healings always shared or pointed to a profound spiritual implication. Always. Jesus didn't just heal people physically to heal people physically. He did it to teach them something that had a spiritual implication, a spiritual value to it. And what we have here today in this narrative is absolutely no different. It's the exact same thing. I'm going to just, we're going to do this by just making, I'm just going to make five points. I'm going to pull five things out of here, and we're going to call it good, all right? <clears throat> Number one, these guys on the side of the road were unable to see Jesus, but they were able to hear him. You're like, thank you, Captain Obvious. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's just, think about it. These, guy, these guys on the side of the road were unable to see Jesus, but they were able to hear him, and this is important because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why this is important. Proclamation matters. You and I sharing Jesus, talking about Jesus to our friends and our neighbors and our family members matters. It matters because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. These guys obviously could not travel around everywhere that Jesus was going and see what he was doing. They, they had no sight. They, could, they, they couldn't do it, right? So how did they know that Jesus was great? How did they know that Jesus was worthy of healing their physical deficiency? How did they know that? Where did they get that from? Well, they probably would have heard it from their scriptures, both in the day and growing up. They heard it from the scriptures, right? Scriptures like Isaiah 61, which Jesus would later quote and own for himself in Luke 4, which says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. These guys would have grew up hearing scriptures like that and anticipating this one who Isaiah would be talking about to come. To them, maybe, would it be my lifetime? Would it be in my day that I would see this one that Isaiah is talking about, right? They would know they, by hearing, and by hearing they would anticipate due to believing it, right? It is once that we hear and we receive what we hear as truth that we can now comprehend things we would otherwise be blind to that we would otherwise be blind to. These men could not physically see the works of Jesus that day, but they could hear about the works of Jesus. And by hearing, they knew about the works of Jesus to be true. And what does Jesus go on to say about us concerning this very thing? This room right here, 2,000 years later, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This is us. And I, and I know we do this, especially going back to skeptics again. I hear this all the time when I have um, uh, a conversation with an unbeliever. Where is he? If he's so real, why doesn't he just come down right now and introduce himself, show himself, shake my hand, 
Why is that, right? We, we, we think that if we can see, that we will believe. But you guys are familiar with the Gospels, right? How many people saw all these things that you and I never saw and walked away in unbelief? Walked away in rejection of the Messiah in spite of seeing every single bit of it. It's mind-boggling. So we must also remember that seeing is not always believing. Seeing is not always believing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is why, oh, you guys, we just, I, I, I just beat this thing to death, don't I? This is why the church exists, is to proclaim so that the blind may hear. This is why we're here. We have been called out to call out. That is how God has set this deal up. I don't know why. I'll, I'll ask him when I get there. I think there would have been better ways. But he chooses to use the people which he saves, which he has called out through the gospel of Christ out of the world to go back and call out further to others who do not yet know or have what we know and have. That's how it works. This is why the church remains on earth. Primarily, is to be on mission of proclaiming Christ to the blind so that people may hear about him. These guys were unable to see him, but they were able to hear him, um, hear about him. Number two, it is faith in Jesus that gives us Jesus. It is faith in Jesus that gives us Jesus, not something else, period. Not something else. Not indifference, like, oh, I don't really care. It could swing either way. We'll find out. That doesn't work. You can't, you can't just be passive. That's not how you get Jesus. It's not self-sufficiency, something you can do for yourself. It's not behavioral modification, something you can transform yourself into. It's not self-help. It's not offerings. It's not entertainment. It's not excitement that gives you Jesus. It's faith. It's faith that gives you Jesus. Faith brings us to Jesus. Uh, there was uh, quite a crowd in this narrative that followed him that day. But many undoubtedly followed him, not due to their desperate need for him, but to be entertained. There is no doubt that a lot of these people wanted to be entertained. They wanted to be thrilled. They, they, they were there for the excitement of it all. Is why they're wandering around the countryside with Jesus. Like, what's he going to do next? What's the next trick going to be? They're being entertained. And there's so many churches out there today, again, not to get on my dealio, but they're, they're, they're built on entertainment. The appeal is entertainment. It's excitement. You're keeping people excited so you feel like you're really a part of something cool that's going on. But you gotta, once you move the needle to excitement, you've got to keep the needle in excitement. You've got to keep them that way. We don't get Jesus through excitement because someday that, that experience is going to wear off. It's going to go away. It's, it's by faith. But many that day followed Jesus to be stimulated, to be amazed by the next trick that he would perform. But these two blind guys, these two blind guys, Lord, have mercy on us, they said. Lord, have mercy on us, they said. Right? In, in other words, don't give us what we deserve, which is to pass us by and continue being blind. Interesting, right? Son of David, they said. You know what that means? 
king of kings. They're identifying Jesus correctly. He wasn't just a man that was stirring up some stuff and saying some interesting things. They knew that he was the coming king after the order of David, son of David. It's significant, son of David. It's a very restrictive messianic term, one which states that they believed that Jesus was the one talked about, promised, coming, king of kings, son of David, king of kings. So these dudes aren't like saying a little bit by calling him son of David, like they're saying a lot. It says much concerning who they thought Jesus was. And what that means is that these two guys had already settled prior to Jesus passing by in their minds who Jesus was. They already had it settled in their minds and in their hearts. That's called faith, right? And in that, they believed that Jesus was able and capable of healing them because they believed Jesus was from God. They believed Jesus was the son of God. Therefore, he was capable. And, and so with what, knowing all this, did they cry out to Jesus with further healing? Faith. They cried out in faith. Um, both Mark and Luke's account, in fact, um, there's this thing that Jesus speaks back to them after he opens their eyes. Do you know what that is? Your faith has made you well. That's found in Mark and Luke after Jesus does this thing. So, so the physical healing of Christ is punctuated by Christ letting them know what it is that has done this, right? Pretty cool stuff. Your faith has made you well. So, so their works didn't make them well. Their ableness didn't make them well. Uh, their abilities didn't make them well. Their curiosity didn't make them well. Their health didn't make them well. Their faith made them well. Their faith gave them Jesus. This is how you and I are saved today. This is how you and I spiritually are made well from our spiritual deficit is by faith alone in Christ alone, plus nothing. Plus nothing. That's it. It's all about him and what he does and nothing about us and what we do, right? Faith alone in Christ alone. There was an expectation, a competence these guys already possessed that Jesus would do, could fully do such a thing based upon what they already believed about him. And it is in this that we see that real faith is often found in places unexpected. Real faith is often found in places unexpected, even with people that we least expect, right? That is that with people least likely to have faith in our minds, in our minds. Um, we tend to think that people born with physical deficits and limitations are in a sense prejudged or forsaken by God, right? Uh, we, we see it as a negative. God must be displeased with them already, um, we can act like we don't, but I think we can all see a time at one point or another where we lead with that. That's our first thought. I know I have. I'll just admit it, all right? That God maybe is mad at them. We may think like God did this to them for, for a negative reason, which is true. God did do it to them, but not necessarily for the reason that you and I may think. Do you guys remember the, the man born blind? in John, 
right, where the parents bring him before the religious leaders. And, and what do they do? Their first thought is, somebody screwed up somewhere, right? They look at him and they go, who, who, like, who sinned? His parents or him? And they're saying that because of his physical deficit that he was born with. And what's the response? It's not, it's not about anybody's sin. This, this, is, this was done for you and this moment right now, that you would see God, that you would see the power of God, that you would know that God is real, that you would know that I, the Son of God, it's Jesus talking, right, would know that I am who I claim to be before you today. It was for them that that young man was born blind. And this is how God operates, people. So many times we sit around going, what in the world are you doing? There is no possible way that this can mean anything good or any good can come out of this. And I promise you that with God, it will and it does every time. Every time. We may not know it now. We may not get answers now. But we will all know one day. And we will all worship him for it. Regardless of what it feels like right now. Regardless of what it looks like right now. The truth is that oftentimes real faith is found in places that we least expect, with people that we least expect, because our assessment of ourselves and others is often very different than God's assessment of us and God's assessment of others. And because this is true, we must stay close to Jesus so that we can continue to properly see others the way that we should see others. Do you guys remember the Laodiceans? It's the uh, last letter, last report card. Uh, to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, the Laodiceans. Um, and they were basically a well-to-do church. They were a bunch of people in the heavenly procession, right, on the way to the promised land, following Jesus without Jesus anymore because of what they were able to do for themselves, because of what they were able to provide for themselves. This is the famous book where, where we have, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, which, which is not to a non-believer, it's to the church. Jesus is outside the door of this church going like, what do you think? Like, is it, is it cool if I, like, come and join you? You know? Seeing as though, like, the church is mine and everything. That's these guys who had gotten basically too, too big for their britches, right, as far as assessments go. And, and this is what Jesus says to them here in that letter. You say, I am rich. You say, I have prospered. You say, I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched and pitiable and poor and naked and what? Blind. Blind. He says, buy salve to anoint your eyes for me so that you may see. Part of the way that they made their money in Laodicea is they had this weird clay, like mineral in the ground, and they made eye salve. Like it, and, and they sold it all over the place, and they made a ton of money. And so these are the people that are producing uh, the, this, this eye ointment that the whole world's coming to for. And Jesus is going, no, you're blind. Like, you, need to buy, like, <laughs> you need to buy ointment for your eyes from me. Like, the, like this is a hard knock, Right? Their assessment of themselves was completely different than Jesus' assessment. And we do the same thing, and we need to be careful with this. Jesus sees people that often his own people do not see. This is true for me. Again, I'll start. I, I, I do this when I walk around and I stereotype, and I see something going on and I make a full judgment. 
Like I go all the way down the road with it. And, and, and it's, it's so bad because it's so self-righteous and it's so narrow and there's no depth to my judgment, right? Um, he sees people different. This is why so many people who follow Jesus are certain that certain people do not belong in the church who absolutely do, who absolutely do because our assessment of what Jesus wants and who Jesus wants and is for is so self-righteously skewed. We're very preferential. And, and so this Jesus procession that day that's like following down the road tells these guys to shut up. It's what they do. These guys are like, have mercy on me, Senator David. And they're like, shut up. Like, you need to be quiet, right? Just sit there quietly, forsaken by God because you're blind. Just sit there and be blind, right? This is pretty much what's being said. You're ruining this special moment for us, right? But the blind men persist. And they persist because their faith is real. And real faith is persistent. Real faith is insistent. It insists on being heard and being found and prevailing for Jesus. It does not knock once and say, well, no one answered. I I guess I'll go down the road and try something else. Real faith does not do that. Uh, It knocks and it knocks and it knocks until the door is answered. It persists. These guys won't stop. They insist on being heard by Jesus that day. They insist on seeing Jesus, and more importantly, on Jesus seeing them. They want Jesus to to see them. And so it is faith that gives us Jesus, and Jesus who gives us faith, which brings us to number three. These are going to go quicker. You're like, there's no, like, really? We're just on number three? When we cry out to Jesus, he hears. Oh, praise, praise God for this truth. This is the only reason I'm here, people. is because it is true that when we cry out to him, he hears. He hears. When we cry out to Jesus, he hears. Even when, or maybe even especially when the one who cries out is one who everyone else pities and everyone else is ashamed of and everyone else is embarrassed for, he hears. Oh, how Jesus loves. I cannot overstate this enough. How Jesus loves the underdog. How Jesus loves the marginalized. How Jesus loves the ostracized. The one who is beat up. The one who is unsavory. The one who is a throwaway. Oh, how he loves them. I was a social throwaway by the time that I was 17. I had already been there, done that, bought the shirt. In just stupid things. I was raised in the church. I had knowledge of these things. But I loved myself more. And I was on a highway to hell, like quickly, fast past, doing all kinds of stuff. By the time I was that age, I was already a social throwaway. By the time I was 17, my parents did not know what to do with me. The church did not know what to do with me. The principal at school did not know what to do with me. The school system didn't know what to do with me. A therapist didn't know what to do. No one knew what to do with me, except for one. And so I got popped for a burglary and did some time in San Bernardino, which was isolated time, 22 hours a day by myself in a concrete box with a Bible and a deck of cards. 
God ambushed me. He put me in that place so that I couldn't go score a bag or run off to this and run off to that and medicate and keep running away. He trapped me and gave me a sober brain and a Bible. I mean, you want, you want to talk about someone like having one over on you. You know what I mean? Like God ambushed me. And in that cell, in that place, in my desperation and stupidity, he met me there. He heard me there. I realized that I was all about myself and that I was a sinner. It had nothing to do with, oh, you did drugs and oh, you did burglary. Like, let's just get rid of that. I am a guy who has fallen short of the glory of God. I don't care how clean your life has been, you have too. We are all in trouble. And that's what I realized that day is that I was in trouble with God. And I cried out and he heard me, even when the rest of the world would not. Because that's what he does. He is real. And he cares more than anybody else. We often think that we're so detestable, or our pasts, we're so detestable that we can't go to him in our, all that sin, in all that guilt, and all that wretchedness over what we've done. Um, it tells us all the reasons, usually, why we cannot go to God with it. Why we cannot cry out to God. Why he cannot come to us. Why he will not hear us. But the fact of the matter is that because of our sin and because of our guilt and because of our wretchedness and a knowledge of our redemptive need for every bit of it, we actually then know and believe that Jesus is our only hope. He's the only one who makes sense for us to cry out to. Nobody else. That he's the only one that can clean the unreachable places in us that run deep. Believing that he is ready that he is willing, that he is able, that he is capable, and even that he's pleased to meet us there. Did you know that? God is pleased to meet us in that ultimate place of desperation, as ugly as we may be. He's pleased to meet us there. When we cry out, when we, the needy, the sinner, cry out, he hears us, even when the rest of the world does not, even when the rest of the world tells us to shut up, these guys cried out to Jesus from the side of the road, from the outside of, the, of the, uh, the heavenly procession that was going by. And Jesus heard. Jesus heard. Number four, Jesus gives sight. Amazing grace, how sweet this... I'm not going to sing it, and uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found... You know the rest. Was blind, was blind, was blind, but now I see, right? How? The grace of God. Grace, the free grace of God. What is that? It's a gift. It's a gift. A completely free one, right? Undeserved. It's a goodwill gift. You know why? Because God's good. I've spent most of my life thinking he's not. You know why? Because I relate him to other dads that I see, or my dad, or even to me as a dad. And I see how I respond, and I react, and I approach 
my kids. And I think, well, that's got to be how he is. And it's not because he is altogether good all the time. He is good. I know it's hard for us to comprehend. I know that's hard for us to wrap our brains around. But God is good. He cannot help but be good. He is nothing else. He is good. Grace is not a statement of our personal decision, but a declaration of God's provision in spite of what we deserve because he is good, because he takes pleasure in seeing those who nobody else sees. I love this. I love that he takes pleasure in seeing those who nobody else sees. In spite of our inability to restore our own sight or clean ourselves up, God heals. God restores. God saves. Now, consider this for a moment. This is trippy. What's the first thing that these two dudes ever saw that day? Yeah. The first thing that their eyes ever saw was Jesus. This is an amazing thought. It was God in the flesh. Can you imagine? One of the great hymn writers of the church went by the nickname Fanny Crosby. If you, if you have a daughter, don't name her Fanny. Don't even nickname her Fanny. It's just weird. Fanny Crosby was this lady's name. She wrote 8,000 songs, 8,000 songs. So she was, you might say, always singing a new song. She became blind as a young girl. And the minister said to her one day, Miss Crosby, with all the gifts that God has given you, it's a pity that you've been blind all your life. To which she smiled and said, if I had but one request to ask God, it would be that I would have been born blind. This minister was amazed. And his response was, why is that? And she explained, I wish I had been born blind because then the first face that would ever have gladdened my sight would have been the face of my Savior upon entering glory. Oh, what a moment this must have been for these two guys on the side of the road that day. Their first sight being of the great sight giver. Free gift. Yet as miraculous and amazing as this must have been for them to physically receive sight, the real beauty, guys, the ultimate beauty and reality of the sight that Jesus gives is spiritual. Is spiritual. Do you remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? John chapter 3? Of course you do. The subject is being born again and the Holy Spirit. And there's a point where Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, unless you are born again, you cannot see. You cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot see it. In other words, prior to being born again, we are in a blind state spiritually. This thing doesn't work by us being really smart and reading a lot of books and doing a lot of investigation and studies, and all those things are fine and good, but your, your um, intellect is not what gets you into heaven. The Spirit of God coming upon you and giving you sight for Christ is what you need. It's what I need. Right? How does one acquire such sight? Well, uh, we must become born again, born of the Spirit. Uh, and guess where that comes from? 
again, do, do any, have you, any of you guys figured out how to tell the wind what to do? Okay. God does that one too. So we don't, we don't even get to hold that one up and go, look what I did. Look what I did. No. God, the Spirit of God, like the wind, moves where it will on who it will. So even our faith, our sight for the kingdom of God is a gift from him. Don't believe me? Go read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Like, it's what it, that's what it is. It's not of us. It's not from us that we have faith. It's from him that we have faith. All right. Jesus gives sight. Finally, number five, once we can see, we can follow. Once we can see, we can follow. In fact, once we truly see Jesus for who he really is, we can't help but follow him. We can't help but follow him. And we are compelled to follow him, right? Because we know there is nothing else, and there's no one else like him. Because our faith has confirmed to us that he is real, and that he is good, and that he is compassionate, and that he is able and willing to do that which we cannot do. He is our only hope. And when you taste of that, you know he's good. You know that there's nothing else. Listen, I still do this. There's, t- there's times when I disagree with God, okay? I disagree. Sometimes that's all I have to say when I look up is I disagree. And in that, I run off and try to get my fix in other things. Still, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I will still do this where I will run off and I will tra- test the waters in other stuff because God isn't doing what I think he should be doing. So I guess I'll just go somewhere else for it. And I am absolutely miserable, miserable. It doesn't even take long in those things where, where, where it just all of it feels off. I feel like a fish out of water. I'm somewhere I don't belong. Why? Because I've tasted of God. And he is good and he is real. And there's nothing like him. There's nothing like him. And so I want to be where he is. I want to do what he does. If he's going to go over here, I want to go over there. Wherever it is that God can be found, that's where I want to be. Right? Because I have seen him. And now that I've seen him, I have a need to follow him. I have a need to follow him. Jesus uh, grants us sight, and that sight grants access, desire, need to be where he is, regardless, listen, regardless of where that may take us. This is the hard part, isn't it? Because he doesn't always lead us uh, into a, a field of daisies, right? Sometimes it's a, it's, it's a hill with a cross on it. We now have a desire, now that we can see him, though it's imperfect, to love the things that he loves. Like his church, though it's imperfect. Though it's imperfect. I'm so over the thing where it's like, you know, my, my church is, you know, on a lake with a fishing pole and a beer. Nothing like it. Well, that's neat. And God did give that to you. But you know what God loves more than anything else? Do you know where God resides more than anywhere else? In power. Is through his people, his gathered people, right here, in this place. It matters. We have a desire now to hear from him. That's what we're doing now, right? And, and I know that I'm 
Hopefully you can see through me. I'm, I don't want to ruin it. But this is what this is. The centerpiece of our gathering as the people of God is to sit underneath that which he's given us so that we may look at him and be amazed once more at that which he's done, at the lengths which he's gone to, at a love that's so radical we can hardly comprehend. We have a desire to talk with him, to converse, to cry out, to be in prayer, to communicate, right? We have a desire now to live like him. We talk about this one a lot. Like I, I once when I got born, like things that used to like bother me about like Christianity and things that the Bible would tell me were good, like stopped. Like I actually started like liking those things and wanting those things. What is that? Well, that's, that's that born again thing. That's the spirit of God coming in and starting to rearrange things at ground zero, right? In my heart that then start working their way out. That's what he does, right? We start loving what he loves, hating what he hates, right? So once we can see him, we, can now, we now have a need to be with him, to learn from him, to live with him, even for him. And all that comes with being granted sight from him, knowing that nothing else compares. So what is one of the first things Jesus tells us to do in following him? I'm close with this. We did this last week in Lapine. Last week was such a rad week in Lapine at our, um, um, what do you want to call it, location down there. I had something else in mind that I would have gotten in trouble for. Location. And um, we, we, we got to baptize five people. It was so cool. It never gets old. The, pi- the picture of baptism, whether it's in a trough or a river, it never gets old, right? This is one of the first things that Jesus tells us to do and what it looks like to follow him. And so as, as we bring this up, if there's anyone that hasn't done this, you know what, like, what are you waiting for? You know, um, come, and, come and talk afterward, all right? We find this in Matthew 28, what it looks like to follow Jesus now, right? Verse 19 says, go therefore and make disciples, aka followers, followers of all nations, baptizing them. So it starts here, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It begins with this thing called baptism, which is simultaneously a funeral and a wedding. If you see it, that's what it is. It's a, it's a death and a resurrection. It's a funeral of us dying to sin, self, Satan, once for all, because Christ has cured us of that. He's paid for that. He's put it away. So we go down into that water to die to who we were and what we've done, and we come up out of that water to live new in ways we never could have imagined because our Lord has accomplished that for us, right? This is what you're seeing when you see, you see, you're seeing a funeral and then a wedding, right? And uh, it's for the one who purchased us. That's where it starts. And then it leads into the second part of that verse, which is teaching them, teaching them. You can say the nations, but you, it's also connected to those that you have baptized to observe all things that I have given you that I have taught you, right? So, so, so now we are uh, walking in a state of submission and obedience and practice in pursuit of him according to what he's told us pleases him. This is what it looks like to, to follow the Lord. This is where it starts, and this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, to go where he goes, to love what he loves, to pursue that which he pursued. 
And these two men, who were once blind, but now could see, it seems they were happy to do so. And I would pray each day that you and I are as well, because you've tasted of the goodness, the compassion, the kindness, the mercy, all of it that God has had upon you. Lord, thank you for texts like this that remind us not only who you're for, um, but also what you're capable of. Um, There is none like you. There are none who have the authority over all things that exist like you. You do as you please as you sit in the heavens, sovereign over it all, over it all, including us as a sinful people. We thank you that mercy was dispensed to us by you that you didn't leave us in that which we fully deserved, but that you had mercy on us by not giving us what we deserved. We thank you for the gift of Christ and his righteousness imputed to us that we can now follow you in righteousness and after righteousness. And so, we, we, uh, again, we, we thank you, Lord, that you are mindful at all of people like us. We thank you that you love the people that a lot of people don't ever notice or see. And I mean that for myself. And I pray that we would have the same burden to see through those same eyes as we scatter from this place and go back into life. And so, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. In your name, amen.